I want to begin just by telling you guys a little bit of a story. Five and a half years ago, um, Jerry and I were visiting friends in Columbus, and, and we kind of had anticipated staying for the whole weekend. My, my best friend, Art, uh, and his wife, Kayla, and they're just wonderful people, and some of you know them. Uh, but on Saturday, there was a single mom from our church, our small, small group church, uh, who uh, sent us a text that said, hey, we're in in an emergency rush to Pittsburgh and, and her daughter was going to have emergency surgery in Pittsburgh. And so Jerry and I talked about it and we said, you know what, let's go, let's, let's go be with them at the hospital in Pittsburgh. And so we said goodbye to our friends who totally understood. And we headed out uh, for Pittsburgh and about an hour into the trip, I'm, I'm driving, I've got the cruise control on and I'm just sort of like zoned out, just, just driving. And uh, Jerry calls the kids and she's talking to the kids for a little while and then puts the phone up to my ear so that I can say hi to the kids. And right about this time, in my rear view mirror, blue lights and a siren. And I was being pulled over by the Ohio State Troopers. And I was like, man. And so I, I pull off the side of the road. And to be quite honest, I didn't know why I was being pulled over. But I was, I was thought, well, maybe it's because she put the phone to my ear. I really didn't know why I was being pulled over. And uh, when, I, when the trooper got up to my car, he asked me where I was going in such a hurry. And I, I was like, I, I didn't know I was in such a hurry. But uh, he said, well, where are you going in such a hurry? I said, well, I'm a pastor. One of our people is in the hospital in, in uh, Pittsburgh. And so we're, we're going to be there for this emergency surgery. And he said, well, do you think the law doesn't apply to you? I was like, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. I, I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I said my cruise control was, was set. And, and then he handed me a ticket for going five miles an hour over the speed limit. I still have the ticket because nobody would believe it if, if it wasn't actually on a ticket. But the, the worst part about getting a ticket for five miles an hour over is 130 bucks. I was like, man, come on. Uh, and then I drove away and I was angry. I was like, Jerry, like for the next hour, I was just like, man, I can't believe I have to pay this. And I was only going five over and I, you know, there's other people and it just, cause I'm out of state and I was just livid, but I kind of got over it and I was never once concerned for my life. This is really kind of, <laughs> if you think about it, it's a very anticlimactic story. I got a ticket. I paid it. End of story. But what brings extra meaning into the story this morning is that the events of the past week where George Floyd, a black man, was killed under the knee of a white police officer in Minneapolis, that imports meaning that otherwise isn't there in a, in a seemingly insignificant traffic stop. And as soon as I bring this up, no doubt some of you uh, are, are beginning to experience some anxiety, that it's beginning to stir in you. And maybe you're having a lot of different thoughts. There's a, a lot of things that could be triggering you. And it's convenient that we've actually spent the last few weeks talking about the ways we react in anxiety, because you may be able to spot some things in yourself. You know, some of you may be going, I'm getting off of here. I'm going to distance because this is making me anxious. Some of you are like, I'm going to unmute and tell him what's, what's up. Uh, don't do that. Just please don't. Um, 
it doesn't look good for anybody. Uh, some of you are like, while you're muted, you're like, can you believe this guy? Can you believe what he's saying? But like recognize that, that there's like anxiety beginning to stir. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is recognize the anxiety you're feeling for what it is. Take a deep breath and make the decision that you're going to stay present in this moment. Can we do that? Can we agree that we're going to take a deep breath, recognize we all feel a little bit of anxiety, and then be present this morning? You know, I, I, I don't know how you have felt over the past few days, but as things sort of have un, un, like unfolded around George Floyd's death for me, and really the aftermath of it, I have struggled to find words. I, I feel like I've started Facebook posts here and started Facebook thoughts there and started to engage. And every time I delete what I'm about to say, and it's not because I don't have things to say, or I don't have thoughts, or even that I'm surprised that it happened. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's a horrific injustice. That's really just the latest in a public, uh, it, uh, or the most maybe public indication of this deep-seated, deep-rooted, systematic injustice in our country. And before you send me emails or, or you know, hate mail, I don't think the looting and the riots are right either. It's a tragic situation that we find ourselves in. And the thing that I keep thinking is Martin Luther King said, riot is the language of the unheard. There's something we as a society are not hearing. We're missing something. I do have thoughts, but what I've struggled with is how after having watched the video, and if you haven't watched the video, I mean, I think, I think you should, but you can decide that for yourself. After having watched the video, how do I bring myself just to a kingdom response? What is the kingdom response here? How do I live my life? What's the, the appropriate way? And I, I imagine you, you all could probably feel that. I mean, I'm living the same world you are. COVID is stressing everybody out. And now we're about to get some relief. And, and now I see this video, which just stirs even more anxiety and there's cities locking down, and there's demonstrations. And my tendency, just like everyone else in the world, is to react. That's my desire. Inside of me, I just want to react. I want to do something to alleviate what I feel. And that's what everybody's doing, right? You guys have seen that. Like all the Facebook stuff, nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to feel. They're just feeling a lot of things. And we got to weigh in and we got to say our thing. Even you look at the looting and the riots and it's emotional reactivity. It's people reacting emotionally. We blow up social media, these demonstrations. Some are making plans for what they're going to do to make themselves feel better. Like I feel a lot of things. I need to do something to alleviate the anxiety that I feel. And I think, where I've struggled personally is how do I go about being 
a non-anxious presence? How do I go about having a thoughtful kingdom response that actually does something meaningful? Where I don't feel like I'm wasting my energy and wasting my time. Maybe that's, I hope, I hope you can maybe uh, relate. Like maybe that's your experience. And so today, as I, as I was like thinking about it last night and, you know, all these things we can talk about, you got, you know, it's Pentecost Sunday. And this is, we remember the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church today. And we've been talking about anxiety in this different series. And yet I'm feeling these things. And how do I move forward? And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a passage from Romans 12. And if you have a Bible... Speaking of which, where did I put my Bible? <laughs> well, that was a mistake. Anyway, uh, so, but I want to look at Romans 12 uh, because I believe we can find some kingdom guidance there. And so if you turn your Bible to Romans 12, Romans is a letter that was written by Paul to the church at Rome. And this church is made up of racially different people like two different groups of people, Jews, Gentiles. Now Paul's writing to inform them how they are to go forward together. How do we live life together as we go forward? And what he says is that God's plan was not to have two divided groups, but rather one new humanity made up of people from all groups. So like Paul does everywhere else, in the first 11 chapters of the letter, Paul explains who they are. That Paul starts from this perspective of, you need to understand who you are before I tell you what to do. And so for the first 11 chapters, Paul explains that we're all sinners, and that both groups, you all are sinners who have been saved by the grace of Jesus. And then with this foundation, he turns a corner in chapter 12, to the specifics about how we, in these two groups, are going to move forward together as one new humanity. So we're going to begin in verse 9, and I actually have it on paper, which is helpful. Verse 9, and here's what we read. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. This is Paul's guidance for how these two racially different groups are going to move forward together as the one new humanity. And this morning, I want to point out three things that I think will help us move forward and give us guidance for how to be kingdom people navigating such a complex issue in 2020 America. The first thing that I want to point out is that Paul says to engage in relationship. 
In verse 10, Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. What Paul knows is that if these two different people groups are actually going to be able to move forward in peace, they're going to have to be in real, committed relationships with one another. They're going to have to be devoted to one another. What Paul knows is that if he allows the two groups to just stay separate, what's going to happen is fear is going to drive the conversation. Fear is going to drive everything going forward, which would cause them to assume the worst about each other. I mean, I don't know if you've been in this, but we have black church and white church, right? And that's, a, that's just sort of a thing that we have. And what happens is that so much of the racial conversation that we have in this country is driven by fear. Fear of what we don't know. We've not engaged relationally with people who are different from us enough to actually understand who they are. There's an African proverb. It goes like this. It says, when I saw him from afar, I thought he was a monster. When he got closer, I thought he was just an animal. When he got closer still, I recognized that he was a human. When we were face to face, I realized that he was my brother. Without the benefit of real relationship with different people than us, it's easy to dehumanize someone. It's easy to end up with your knee on someone's neck whenever you don't believe that they're human, whenever everything that you do is driven by fear, is motivated by fear, and we assume the worst about people. We see someone on the sidewalk, and we instantly suspect that they have bad motives. We walk past people, and we clutch our purses close to us. We've decided, based on what somebody looks like, that they have ill intent towards us, and it's driven by fear. It's driven by the fact that we don't know them and we're not getting to know them. But here's the beautiful thing. When we begin to engage in relationship with people different than us and we seek to understand who they are, what you find is they're people just like you and me with many of the same thoughts, feelings, fears, desires, needs. So let me ask you a few questions. And really, I'm asking all of us. I'm asking me. Let me ask us collectively a few questions. Do we, as a church, do we individually have relationships with people who aren't white? We live in a, in a city that is 93% white. Do we have relationships with people who aren't white? And, and I mean, if you sit across the office from somebody who's not white, that's not relationship. Your desk is in proximity to them. That's not relationship. I'm talking about legit relationship where you actually have real conversations about life. Do you have those kind of relationships? Let me ask another question. When was the last time we shared a meal with someone of a different race? That's close, isn't it? That hits pretty hard. When was the last time we actually sat down and broke bread with people who are not like us? And if we were asked, could we 
explain the perspective from which they see the world? Do you know that there's not another, that there's another narrative out there about how America is? I know that was a surprise to me. That my experience of this country is not the same as my black and brown brothers and sisters. Paul told the Roman Christians of different races to be devoted to one another. I think a good start for us to be kingdom people would be to take these questions seriously as we intentionally engage our black and brown brothers and sisters. And again, I'm pointing at myself. A little bit, I feel like a hypocrite preaching this, honestly. The first thing that we do is we engage in relationship. The second thing is that we empathize with experiences of those who are different than us. We empathize with experiences of those who are different than us. Paul says in verse uh, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Paul's telling the Roman Christians that the way forward in reconciliation is to understand and empathize with one another's experiences. Do we know what causes our black and brown brothers and sisters to mourn or to rejoice? Do we know? And here's the hard part. You know, something powerful actually happens when we do engage, but we need to engage in such a way that we're not trying to explain away their experience. Something powerful happens when we care enough to get to know what they're experiencing without trying to explain it away or relieve our anxiety when we're uncomfortable. One of the helpful things is to allow people to be experts of their own experience. And then we join them in it. Now, many of you know that we lost a pregnancy in between our two children. And, and lots of people in, in the, the aftermath of that, they, they did a lot of explaining for us and telling us what we should be feeling and what we shouldn't be feeling. Some, you know, and, and I know it's people trying the best they know how. But some people told us that heaven just needed another angel, which, by the way, sidebar, that's really bad theology. People are people, angels are angels. People are not angels, and angels are not people. But that doesn't make anyone feel better. One lady tried to tell us it was probably better off this way, as if losing our child was actually better off. And all of them were trying to help in their own way, but they were all trying to explain away our experience and tell us we shouldn't feel what we feel. But there's one person in that whole experience for us who, who was the most Christ-like. Some of you know Lene, and, and here's why Lene was so Christ-like to us in that moment. Because she didn't try to explain what we were feeling. She didn't try to tell us we shouldn't be feeling the way that we're feeling. She didn't try to cheer us up. She didn't even think we necessarily needed to be cheered up. What she did was come and sit with us in our pain and be present. So often when there's a murdered black person in the news, we as white people are in a hurry to make everything all right. And we run right over the pain of people who experience that close. I don't know what it's like to try to teach a son how he has to behave in a traffic stop so he doesn't get shot. It's something I don't experience. 
And so who am I to tell my black and brown brothers and sisters how they should feel about that? We all have these explanations that at best are unhelpful and at worst are just downright racist. What if instead of trying to explain it away, we became present and available to our African-American brothers and sisters? What if instead of offering answers and explanations, we engaged in real dialogue and we asked real questions to understand about how we could be supportive? I mean, I don't know if you understand this, but like there's a lot of pain right now for our black and brown brothers and sisters. There's a lot of pain that they feel. And I know that that makes us all, all of us who are white, it makes us terribly uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with it. But maybe the best thing we could do is try to understand and just empathize. Maybe we could be present. Maybe we could be present as Jesus is present in people's pain. And we take that first step of engaging in relationships. Maybe we can begin to empathize with the experiences of those who are different than us. Look back at verse 16 with me. It says this, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Where the NIV tra translates it as associate with people of low position. The King James translates it as condescend to men of low estate. And that's actually a better word, that word condescend. What Paul is saying that we is that we have to be unaware or we have to be aware of the unequal balance of power that happens in a lot of relationships. We have to be aware of the fact that the the power is not equal. But not just aware, we have to use our power to raise up the powerless. That's what it means by condescend. Our model for this is Jesus. Jesus has all the power, and yet he lays down his rights and lays down his life to come and lift us up. This is the model for what biblical use of power is supposed to look like. Listen, in just about every area I walk into, in just about every situation in my life I walk into, I always have the power. Always. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. I'm the co-senior pastor of a church. I'm employed with a career that pays me well. In almost every room I walk into, I walk in with power. I've never been told that I'm a credit to my race. When stopped by the police, I didn't have to be extra careful and make sure I had my hands on the steering wheel the right way and make sure I announce everything I did. I didn't wonder if I was being stopped because I fit a description. When I applied for jobs and didn't get them, it, I'd never wondered if it was because of my race. Listen, this is an uncomfortable thing to hear, but if you're white, you have lived your whole life with an amount of privilege and power that our black brothers and sisters have not lived with. There's a different story. Even if you've never had a racist thought or a bad thought or negative word towards anyone, if you're white, you've benefited from privilege and power in our society. When we talk about this, the tendency, and I know this because I feel this way, is to lead to shame and self-loathing, right? Like, woe is me, I'm a white guy that doesn't know what to do. 
But that's not the kingdom response. When we become aware of power, and what Paul is saying is that when we become aware of power, we move to equalize power. The kingdom method to use power is to lift others up. This is the kingdom use of power. When you find yourself as a person of power or influence, the kingdom value is that you use your power or influence to lift up those who don't have it. I mean, we talk about this when it comes to generosity, right? When God gives you an abundance of financial resources, his intent is not that you just sit and have a great time. His intent is that you use the resources he gives for kingdom purposes to lift up those who don't have. That's the way it works. The same is true when it comes to power and influence, that we're supposed to use these to lift up those who don't have them. Listen, this is a really hard thing to talk about. It's a really hard thing to, to talk about because I, I'm aware of my own shortcomings in, in every area that I talk about. But here's the thing that I'm also aware of. Racial reconciliation is not a side project that would be nice if we can just squeeze it in. Racial reconciliation is at the heart of the reconciliation won by Jesus at the cross. Therefore, it's at, it should be at the heart of everyone who claims to follow Jesus. It's not easy. But listen, there's no other hope for the world. There is no other plan apart from the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ. We are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. 